Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. Other podcasts are available through our website, brumradio.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Geeky Brummy here live in Digbeth at Brum Radio every week from midday. This is going to be a two-hour Super Duper Bank Holiday special where we'll be looking back at some of the conventions we've been to over the last couple of weeks. First up is the amazing Transformers Nation which we got to visit a couple of weekends ago which is a Super Duper Transformers themed convention which we've been shouting about for the last couple of months if you've been a regular listener and we got invited to go down and enjoy and have some fun there. So I hope you enjoy that. Also, we'll be broadcasting some of the interviews recorded live at Not Another Comic Con, including the amazing Jessica Martin, um, Ian Etchington, Ian Richardson, Mark Dexter, and Sarah Grayley. So some brilliant interviews there. Sprinkled in between will be a bit of an eclectic music mix, as you can always expect from Geeky Brummy. And also, we even got a chance to go down to Tony Cooper's book launch, which was live at Geek Retreat on Tuesday. It's available now, so don't forget to find it online. It is a brilliant book. Right, so we're here at the Hilton Metropole, here by the NEC and the airport and Birmingham International, pretty much in the centre of everything that you need to get in or get out of Birmingham. And I'm joined by the wonderful, verified Mr. Philip Pérez, Leo. Hello. I'm joined by Bromawe himself, Mr. David Massey. Good afternoon. And producer guys in attendance. Hi. So when I'm not destroying the area that we're sat in, we're actually at TF Nation, which is a residential convention. So for those who haven't heard what a residential convention is before, it's basically where fans of a particular interest, so in this case Transformers, or it could be anime, certain film series, anything like that, it's where you come, gather together, socialise with friends, and maybe friends that you haven't seen for a long while, or you've met online, and you get to enjoy having a weekend dedicated to your interest of choice. So, as I said, we're at Transformers Nation, so as you expect, this is a bit Transformers heavy. Phil, this is your first residential convention. So we're not actually stopping over as we live in Birmingham, and I thought that would probably be slightly too expensive. It would be a bit overkill, I think, uh, when we are literally five minutes away on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've, I've been to... Well, my, I had my first convention experience uh, just last week at Not Another Comic Con uh, in town. And this is my first residential one, where it, it, it appears that Transformers have quite literally taken over the entire hotel. Would you say they have transformed it? Oh, well, now that you've put those words in my mouth, I would. <laughs> so the whole point is, as I said, uh, special guest here, so we've got Bob Fodiansky, who's one of these creators, Simon Furman, uh, Kay Zama's here, who's a brilliant artist, we've got some voice actors here, uh, Maggie Roswell as well from The Simpsons, she's joined us, and I got a chance to see her panel earlier, which is really, really interesting to see how that different side of voice acting work to Transformers, but still something similar, voice on the cartoon, of course, So, so Maggie's panel was called, uh, Won't Somebody Please Think of the Transformers? Does that mean that she is the voice of Helen Lovejoy? Yes. I thought so. She Brilliant. Is the voice of Helen Lovejoy, Maud Flanders. Oh, may she rest in peace. Yes, she got <laughs> passed away whilst, unfortunately, Maggie went off. With a t-shirt cannon. Yes. Yeah. Isn't she back now though? No, she has been a ghost before. Oh, she's been back by a ghost. Yes. yes. And she's also Mrs. Hoover. Or is it Miss Hoover? Oh. Miss Hoover. No, because the lady who played Ms. Crabapple passed away last year, so she must be Miss Hoover, yeah. Yes. And actually the more I think about it, the more like that sounds. Like it could, be the, same, could the be the same person. I think Ms. She's the so best checked she... out. She's spilling Drambuie on her students' papers. <laughs> I, I relate. She actually mentioned that story. 
Oh, really? That's not Kahlua, that's Drembo. Yeah. No, that's really good. Dave, you've been to a couple of conventions before. I you haven't been to this one before, though. I've never been to a residential convention before, though. I've been to day conventions where you may be at, like, Excel or the NEC or whatever. And, and we're very close to the NEC here because we're, we're over at Birmingham International. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, yeah, these guys are, like, here for the whole weekend. Yeah. And it's just great to be able to uh, see them so enthusiastic about what is... Uh, to me, it's something from my childhood. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think of Transformers being very uh, in the eighties and nineties. Something that was—I mean, it was a massive thing when I was yeah. a kid. Um, so much so, it generated uh, movies and toys, and you know, and, and now it's a collectibles uh, yeah. industry as well. And I imagine a lot of people here have got probably attics full of Transformers items from over over time. Yeah, absolutely interesting just to, to see it going on around. And people dressed up as well, cosplay going on here as well. Um, and I didn't know what levels of cosplay there were going to be. There's um, been some fantastic cosplays we've yes. seen just walking around. Yeah, I can't imagine how long it must... I've never done cosplay myself. I can't imagine how, how long... And I always got out of our, our uh, Geeky Brummy pound, pound Shop cosplay that we, uh, we did. So I may have to do that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, That's yeah, something I, we do need to resurrect. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's just ideas. just great seeing that happening, and uh, yeah, seeing seeing who's here as well. So, guy, you were here last year on your first ever geeky Rumi outside adventure, which was Kitacon. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> Want to explain more? What do you remember about Kitacon? Costumes. Kitacon. So Kitacon was an anime convention, so it was all things anime, so there was cosplay, anime panels, uh, sales, everything like that. It was a really interesting convention, it was a really interesting look into that kind of anime world. Um, The Kitacon guys came to the studio, didn't they? Yes, they did. They came and chatted to us in the studio, and uh, again, seeing people so passionate about creating these types of events is just brilliant, And and the fact that they're prepared to come to Birmingham for it instead of them throwing themselves down to London to do these types of events as well. Yes. You know, it gives us more of an opportunity to uh, to explore these without having to go to London for the weekend. Or... Yeah. And I suppose the advantage of having a residential convention versus something which is just a one-day, two-day thing like San Diego Comic Con, um, you're here, as soon as you wake up, you're in convention mode, yes. you're here, everything's here, everything's laid on. Uh, so we've had a, they've taken over pretty much half the hotel here. So that uh, we've been to the Forge, which is their display room. Some of the media, uh, some of the artists are in there, so you can get custom artwork done. Some um, brilliant fan little things that have been made. You have the main hall where they have some of the panels going on, and there's loads, of, loads of traders there. And Guy found a gold mine of top trumps, which you'll be returning to shortly. Yep, don't buy some. What what top trump, trumps packs are there here? Uh, I can't remember. Off the top there's of my quite head. a few. Though, there was wasn't a football there? one. Oh, there's all different. It wasn't just Transformers. No, it was, a it was all one. different ones. Yeah. I do have a uh, top trumps that I do need to bring in for you guys uh, uh, for movie actors of the early two thousands. We played that one, didn't no, we? Have we? I feel like we had. Or was it the nineties when we played it? Because we had people like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. So that could have been the nineties oh, or the noughties. I thought Jennifer Aniston was TV 90s and then film 90s. Uh, we also, well, we also had like Gwyneth Paltrow and Sandra Bullock, but again, that could be 90s or it could be the noughties. Never. It's yeah. that crossover period, isn't it? Mm. 
Oh yeah, and we yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll see if I can find that one. And, uh, I I did find a Family Guy top trumps pack as well, so uh, I'll bring that down as well next time. Mm-hmm. Right, as I said, so this is a three-day event it goes across the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. So people come down on the Friday, get registered, booked in, uh, get to experience fun on the Friday afternoon, sleep over, wake up refreshed, first thing Saturday, back into action. So. They said they've got four main areas, so we have the main hall, which is where most of the talk's going on, plus the traders. Uh, there is the forge, which is where all the display room was. There's a, an actual separate little panel room for the smaller panels, so you can go in there. So there's a podcasting panel, um, also talking about just general Transformers stuff, the art of Transformers, designing some of the robots, so really interesting stuff. And there's also, tonight, ClubCon, which is where they're going to have a little bit of a uh, DJ set. A Transformers-inspired DJ yes. set, I presume. And some um, cosplay competition things. It's pretenders cosplay tonight, and then tomorrow is the actual full cosplay. And another thing that I need to mention as well, the joy of these conventions is they get a chance to do some exclusive things that you'll only ever find at this convention. So there is a wonderful teddy bear, which is called Barricade. Barricade. Barricade, right. Got it, gotcha. Well, we've seen him on social before. Yes, we've seen him on social media. You haven't seen him on Twitter. Yes, yes. Yes, and they've also done a one-off art book for the weekend. Oh, wow. Which is finishing off the Transformers Animated Series, which got cancelled too soon. So this is a fan production, but it's a great way to get fans uh, closure on that series. And they're working working on that over the... No, it's available to purchase. Oh, it's already made? Yes, wow. and there is rumours there might be a digital version available after the convention if you get a copy here. That's cool. Oh, that is so cool. And they've actually had a custom little transformable robot wow. made, which is the one that's in there, which is called Room. So I mean, David's showing the picture. And it, the thing is, it's like you say, you know, because um, obviously these weekends, they can be quite expensive. So it's, it, it's really nice that if you come, you're going to get something... Or, yeah. you know, experiences or stuff here that you're not going to get anywhere else. It makes it worth making that effort and spending that money to come here for, you know, two or three whole days. Yeah. I mean, we've had people come from all over the world for this kind of convention. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that we had at Kitcom last year. People will come from all four corners of the earth to come to this event. Because these are people that you've probably been chatting with online, in forums, on groups, discussing what your interest is, what's a fresh transforming model that you want to do what's the best series, all these kind of discussions that people do feel really passionate about. And it's a chance to go and actually meet people in the flesh and like hang out and have some fun and like meet people that you probably won't recognise. And have that sense of a community that you only get when you're all really, really, really into one specific thing. Yeah, I mean, it's that thing that George and Dave took away last year. I mean, they're not the biggest Transformers fans in the world. I think Dave is more of a Gundam guy. Yeah. So he loves his giant robots in a difference. slightly different flavour. Yeah. I had to have the difference between Transformers and Gundams explained to me. I thought that one was as kind of the other. Um, no, but still I, giant I'm, robots fighting other things exactly. but in a different flavour. I'm a novice, let's say. Dave, you've seen a slightly different angle. You used to work in a bookshop and yes, you've yes, seen yes, people yeah, yeah. in a slightly different style of convention but you'll have an art hall that come in yes. and you'll have people, again, from all over the country coming for this particular signing yes, yes, yeah, and some people yeah. will come internationally yeah. just for a book signing for a particular author. I mean, do you get the same kind of feel for this convention? I mean, we were just getting into when I, I was leaving the book industry we were just getting into the idea of having book signings for graphic novels and it was something that was always on the fringes of what we were doing 
um, because I always wanted to see what new audience was com coming through. Um, like the young adult uh, section was something that was booming at the time, as, as, and as, as well as importing a lot of fiction as well. So for, for me, just this idea of people coming to these sorts of events. Now you get big book signings where you go and see one author talk to 400 people and then you get a copy of the book signed at the end of the day and that was something that was pretty new when I was in that type of industry so for me having this kind of grown this experience grown further uh, is brilliant because I, I hadn't really got uh, too much of an idea of what to expect from today I didn't know I actually have never been to this hotel before so I just didn't know it was this massive hotel on the other side of that lake it just looks like a small space but to come down here and see all of the people that are here and that they're just so passionate about what they're doing and uh, informed about it they're so inf they, they know the facts and figures about it which is why I don't dare like sort question of uh, question anything that anyone's telling me but yeah absolutely uh, brilliant to see that uh, it's fantastic to see as well there's fans here young and old yes. so people forget Transformers has been going on since the 80s we were pretty much 35 years with Transformers history Yes. And people forget that it's been around that long. I think, I think yeah. Michael Bay brought the resurgence with the films. Good or Highly, bad. Controversially so, I think, yeah. I mean, that obviously that film franchise is still going Rolling strong. Along. And yeah. it's uh, the actors keep changing because I think they're all just like, what are we doing? Uh, it's money at the end of the day. I mean, they're, you know, they're, what, they're paying for their new conservatories. That's yeah. that's what they're doing. <laughs> um, but but I, I suppose even there's a benefit in having like the big Hollywood summer blockbuster with that brand name on it because then it keeps interest in all the more niche arms of that going keep, you yeah. know, and it keeps interest if people enjoy that there's more interest in things like you know the comics and the cartoons and, and just sort of all the other you know miscellaneous kind of mythology and arcana that comes along with this kind of thing and you know if you want to do a deep dive into it it's like it's all here yeah. it's there for you to, to enjoy I mean, the Transformers, the original Generation 1 series, as it's now known, that was pretty much my childhood growing up. It was the, well, one of my favourite uh, favorite animated shows yeah. at the time. And I had the film on VHS, which I pretty much wore out until my mum decided to record over it with Coronation Street, <gasps> which I'm still angry at her about. I mean... It was my VHS. The, the edits I see of, of uh, Transformers, the movie to date, don't fully match up with my memories of the film. Yeah. There seems to be bits that are not in the film I saw. I, I, I was saying earlier when we walk around the convention I, I, I'm old enough to have seen Transformers the movie at the cinema when I was a kid and uh, the video, the, the versions that I've seen online are not entirely the same the, the, the elements of the film don't happen in the same order yeah. that I remember them happening and, I, and part of me thinks oh maybe my memory must be playing tricks but the, the continuity and the, it's probably the continuity from the series back to the film and then back to the original series well the film was actually quite controversial at the time I mean it, it set yes. quite a lot of children because when it came out this was the first film which was a, designed solely for children which had some big powerful death scenes I mean we have the death box from Prime in there who was pretty much the ultimate Autobot for a lot of kids spoiler alert if you've not seen it now go <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's well known in the movie theaters. This is not how to market films to children now. Because yeah. it was kind of like, from from uh, the toy industry, um, from Hasbro's angle, they wanted to relaunch the toys. Yeah. I'd well, that was already a controversy at the time. I'd already had my Watership Down experience by this point, which is a completely different kind of... 
Still scary. And there was the last unicorn as well. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it was just those There's a period of, of children's films where they were like, well, let's just traumatise yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine that from from doing that. Um, they In the UK, selling a film based on a toy was controversial yeah. on its own. There was already... You know, there was already complaints going in about the fact that it was you. It was basically an advert to sell the toys, mm-hmm. um, and we'd not had those types of campaigns in the UK before. So it was a big shock to sort of mainstream society that this was happening. Yeah. Um, as though as though they were pimping toys to us yeah. uh, through their programs, but. But you've got to think they had a fantastic cast at the same time with yeah. this. I mean, you had Orson Welles. This was Orson Welles' last film before he Which he is just mind-blowing, that. Yeah. That that was what... Yeah, the cast was the vocal cast. Yeah, one of the most Judd iconic Nelson. voice actors of all time. Yeah. Judd Nelson, you've got Leonard Nimoy Leonard in there. Leonard Nimoy's in it, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So you've got some big, big names that got attached to this movie. And you was Frank Weller, Peace Cullen, who is often trying to make a it was the launch of Galvatron. Yes, yeah. A lot of people don't realise as well in that film. It was yeah. the death of Megatron as well. So, as I said, Starscream has to wait. Ironhide dies in the first couple of minutes of that film. People don't realise how much they got through in that movie. And they were. They were trying to... I mean, the it main... was to relaunch the toys. The main, yeah. main angle was to relaunch the toys because you then thought, well, I haven't got this new Transformer. How do I go and get it? And I was, I was then down to my local... Um, local grocery store, my local shop, <laughs> to look for it. I nearly said the name of it then, and I was like, "What can I say?" Um, Is this a local? Oh no, it's been bulldozed. Quick there. save. <laughs> it wasn't a quick save. It was a. Uh, it was like the Asda at Aston. Yes. When there was an Asda at Aston. <laughs> many years. Many 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 years ago, yeah. and they did. They had a. You could go and buy the toys in the shop there, and then from there. Yeah. Oh. Guy, were you a Transformers fan when you were growing up? Uh, not really. I like Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> That's and you still do. I think Thomas was an accurate Transformer that got stuck he, in train mode. He could have been, yeah. yeah. What tra- what and then that, the, James was definitely a Decepticon because he was the naughty one. I remember that. I you reckon you would have been like James if he'd been a, like a Thomas the Tank Engine. Definitely, you've got the characteristics. Plot twist James is the name of my big brother, and we were always like, James is the naughty engine because James is the naughty one. <laughs> Phil, why couldn't you be more like Philip? I'd but, definitely be Henry, the obnoxious, selfish, miserable one. Of course, you'd be the. Yeah. yeah. To turn this around, what Transformer would you want to be? Because Autobots, of course. They're, they don't usually fly, they usually sports cars or military vehicles. Got a bit more trucks, yeah. And then the Decepticons are mostly known as flying flying ones, so jets, helicopters, planes. What would you prefer to be? I, well, I mean, you always have more fun being the villain, don't you? And if you can fly, you're basically a spaceship with a brain. I think that's what I'd be. Which plane would you be? I, I don't know, a fast one. You're asking me all the wrong questions. <laughs> I don't know. I've not given this any thought whatsoever. <laughs> David? I, I feel mine's just going to have a horrible ending, so I was, I, I would have said um, Ultra Magnus is... Uh, the most rubbish of yeah, water. That was the one... That was, and it's, it's, tra- it's like saying, who's your favourite doctor? It's trapped in time as a result of that. It was because of the movie. It was because that was the, that was the toy that I got. That was the toy that took the longest to put together. Because it was in like 17 bits. Yeah. I mean, Ultra Magnus does still get maligned quite a lot, but he took on a burden of leadership, but he wasn't really. 
I, might, I would have said like one of the Dinobots, but I can only remember like Grimlock. Not Snarl. No, I don't remember Snarl. <laughs> guy, you could, I could say we, any we name. Don't even need to ask, yeah, guy. You're going to be a Decepticon, aren't you? No, I just be I'd be over this dude is looking at these dinosaurs in this book. I don't know who he is, but I just like the I like the cut of his jib because I like the colours on his outfit. So wouldn't he? He's pointing at a picture of Starscream, who is Megatron's number two. But our right sneaky little bugger who usually does tries to get one up on everybody, and is really sarky. I think Guy's automatically picked out the best Decepticon for himself. Uh, Starscream the cassette. No, Starscream was the Jet. Oh, he was. Okay. Oh, the silver. The one who tried to get himself crowned in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. That, that yes. suits Guy down yes. to the ground. It's that a good pick. That, that dude there. Yes. No. That is you. you. Soundwave no. is who I'm thinking of. Soundwave. So I always loved Soundwave mainly because it came with a cassette that you could transform. So you had Laser Beak, Rumble, Ravage, Frenzy. On the front cover of the book, but it looks like Alex James from Blur attended the event at one point. <laughs> Scrabbling of books going on here. It does look a little bit like Alex. Cheese with him. I love, I love Alex James. I know he's got a bit naff lately, and I know that's off topic completely for the show. But I just really, <laughs> I just think he's really nice. I'm not allowed to make any comments about Alex James at all. Why? Because one of my friends would absolutely murder me. So I will leave that. Does he like his cheese? I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> I just realised what I said then. Anyway, so what we're going to do now, we're going to go around, have a bit more of an explore the convention. Oh yes, and the best thing for me being here is I got to be Sherry Bobbins, the takeoff on Mary Poppins. If you cut every corner, it is really not so bad. Everybody does it. Even mom and dad, if nobody sees it, then nobody gets mad. It's the American way. <laughs> so, these are the things. I like that. Thank you, Roswell. Hello. I love it. That's a lovely deal. Uh, is it behind me? Beautiful. Brilliant. Brilliant. Amen. Fantastic. So, anyways, so, what can we tell you about that? Um, I was doing television for a really long time, and uh, on camera and television and in film, and so yeah, there, there's a lot of movies like Lost in America and Pretty in Pink, and there's one called Midnight Madness that is like the worst Disney movie ever made that I was in. It's really great. And um, then I did a lot of, um, I've done a lot of animation, but there's an animation movie that someone just had me sign for called Fire and Ice. That was Ralph Bakshi's movie, and um, I was Princess Tigra in Fire and Ice, going, oh, oh. <laughs> running around looking like a Bakshi character. Um, but I started, I lived in Los Angeles, which is where it all started for me, and then I started to do um, a lot of the film and television. In fact, if you go on YouTube and you put in Maggie Roswell, you can see a lot of characters of me, you know, young. In fact, my daughter used to say, oh, mom, you look so, so young. Yeah, you're younger and then you age. It's how it goes. But that's why I love to do um, animation because, you know, I can be like a little boy or an old woman and it's all good. Or I also believe Dr. Hibbert's wife. And um, I was Apu's wife for a little while in the beginning. 
Uh, so it's it's been a great job. It's been, and it was kind of one of those jobs since I was doing film and television that when they asked me and said, well, you know, would you like to audition for this cartoon series called The Simpsons? I was like, I guess so. And, you know, it's been 28 years. Actually, we're on our 29th year. And you guys are on the 28th year. And at, at this point, it's still going until 30 and probably past that. In fact, Matt Groening, when the uh, London Times said, how long do you think The Simpsons will last? He said, it, he said well, it's, we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. And right there, the next day they put, Groening says, Simpsons uh, is ending. And he said, no, no, no. So now when people ask him how long do you think it'll go, he goes, forever, just forever. So, I mean, The Simpsons is probably like the, the most well-known cartoon. I don't know statistics you probably know better than me, but like it's probably the most widely yeah, known well, cartoon in the Western world. And widely known because, and when I quit the show, I quit it on the 10th year and came back on the 13th year. Um, and then the Paris Match, you know, talked to me and said, um, well, you know, they said, do you want to do an interview because they're the French girl lost her job, and then the Italian girl lost her job, and the Spanish girl who did all my characters lost her job. I said, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just doing my thing. Um, but anyway, so it was, it's been quite a, 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 a run, because, you know, we do 22 shows, and now it's 29 years, so needless to say, it, it seems to be going. And we passed the Flintstones, which was the longest show, and there were all these cartoons, so we're pretty much the history of, of everything. And actually, I think the Sherry Bobbins one that I did was the actual one that surpassed the, the Flintstones, so it was really cool, yeah. I didn't know that. So what, what's actually like, like what's the process of, of uh, you know, filming? Oh, when we do, the, the, yeah, well, when we do the Simpsons, we do it very different, because when I used to do uh, TV shows like um, you know, on Hanna-Barbera, like, um, uh, Scooby-Doo and things like that. My husband, Hal Rail, and I, um, we both did Scooby-Doo <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Peter Laurie. <laughs> so um, we did that and usually you walk in when you're doing animation, they hand you your script, you go through it, and then you do it. On The Simpsons, they send you the script, and then Thursday you have a read-through, and then all the, the writers are writing all weekend, and then Monday, you come back in and you do the show, and then they still are giving you rewrites a lot during the show. But back in the day, what used to happen is literally, it would be an eight-hour day, which never happens in animation. But I think that's how the characters really got fleshed out, was because of that. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, would you say The Simpsons is your favorite show that you've worked on, or is it just... Well, I mean, I think that doing... Sherry Bobbins was, uh, you know, since I was a kid, and I always wanted to, you know, I, you love Mary Poppins, and then you get to do Sherry Bobbins. And then I also got to do Mighty Mouse, um, the, the Ralph Bakshi version of Mighty Mouse, which was really fun because I got to do that as far as animation goes. But I think I did the Tim Conway show with Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. I was one of the stars of that show, and that was really a trip and wild. But a lot of you don't know who Tim Conway is, but if you did, it's a funny comic from the U.S. <laughs> but I think mostly, you know, that's those are the things that I've known for The Simpsons. But uh, with um, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, um, you know, Lost in America. There's a lot of film and television that I did that's, you know, now on, like, I don't know, one of those channels that shows old TV shows, 
that you can see, you know. But it's better as you get older, and as a woman, you know, your, your time in Hollywood is so short, and as you guys have seen, the men get older and the women get younger. So um, it's a much easier thing to be an actor, you know, in a TV series, uh, you know, as, as an animated, you know, character, because now we have our recording studio in Colorado, so you can go downstairs with your pajamas and do The Simpsons. It's really a good job. And then in terms of like, what kind of direction you get with whether it's a census or any other voice acting job, do you do you get to kind of really put your skin on the character? Like, you know, the well, we, we do, and it, you know, it's like, the other thing which is really wild is like with Mon Flanders, at one point she went, oh, Nettie, and I was just going to the read through and I just went, oh, Nettie, and then all of a sudden when they did Mon Flanders doing oh, Nettie, she went like this, and I went, I did that, oh my God. It was so fun. It was really, that is really is like little things. And they do, usually you'll say, oh, here's something funny right here. What about this? This is really great here. But the writers, they have about 12 of them, and a lot of them, yeah, actually more now, and a lot of them um, come from the Harvard Lampoon. They've all been doing, uh, you know, um, comedy shows and stuff for a long time. So their writing is so brilliant that you sometimes go, you know, they talk about a tone poem and you go, okay, and that is what? Okay, good, good to know. So it's really, really smart work. You know, it's really fun. So you mentioned a little bit about some of your on-screen performances, so when you're not voice acting, so how does that differ from what you from, mentioned? From doing, doing, well, the, you, you know, I think acting. doing um, like television, three camera work used to be like stage, and I did a lot of stage work um, and worked on Broadway and when I was doing the improv and everything. And that was really, that I think sets everything up for animation. And anybody that wants to go into animation, I always say to them to um, do improvisation classes because that's a way to kind of keep your brain going and to, you know, to, to keep your mind fast because a lot of times you're improvising a lot of different things so that makes a huge, huge difference. And, um, and also, you know, to, watch a lot of cartoons. I mean, I've watched so many cartoons when I was a kid, and they have the, you know, the old cartoons where they had you somebody Sam, and that was how I got my Texas accent, and Happy you, which is how I got my French accent, and, um, and that's so funny, because when I was, you know, when we're here, and uh, I go into where we just were in Italy, and I was going, buongiorno, and they go, buongiorno, and I go, no, that's all I got, buongiorno. Oh, you go, won't you? But that was, I, I speak like little of everything because when I was, um, I did Spanish class in, in Catholic school, so I had Sister Esperanza, and she gave me a D because I was talking. So she, you know, so I, I did, I learned how to say, hola, pato, que tal, como estas? Muy bien, ¿y tú? Bastante bien. Es familia, está bien? Sí, pero Luisa tiene guitarra. Oh, que lastima, lo siento. Then I got, since I got the D, I had to go to the French class. So I did, bonjour Paul, bonjour Marie, comment ça va? Pas mal à toi, ça va bien, merci. Où est la bibliothèque? Je ne sais pas. And that's pretty much all I've got. So, so when you go to France, though, you say, bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. No, I got nothing. I uh, no. I'd like to speak to you, and yet I can only do the accent and pretend like I am French, but in. I am not at all. I cannot speak at all, but I can sound it. I did a poem. That's why I always say to people when you're with your friends and you want to have that thing, you go just kind of like, like this and go, bum, what? 
We are here at not another Comic Con in the lovely Novotel in Birmingham with actor extraordinaire Mr. Mark Dexter. Hello, thank you for joining us. Actor extraordinaire, I'm loving this. More of it, please. <laughs> uh, well, I, I will. I was told, uh, actually, the reason I'm here, in fact, is because I was told I was an actor who's got a con-friendly CV mm-hmm. um, featuring the likes of Red Dwarf, Doctor Who, Transformers and the like. And uh, after... About five or six people over the uh, one or two years told me that. I thought, well, I'm going to put myself on the circuit and see what this con scene is all about. And it's ace. So you're a newcomer to the scene. I'm a relative newcomer. I think this is number five, not that I'm counting. I think I've got about the same amount coming up over the next few months. I've had to cancel a couple because I've had some actual work come in, <laughs> uh, which was uh, quite unexpected and a bit of a blow, frankly. Uh, so... But yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm enjoying it. It's it's crazy. It's yeah. it's geeky, and that's kind of my territory. You know, these are the shows I, I watch as well as be in. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you've recently been on the screen as the prime minister in now, Transformers: The Last. Movie. I'd rather not discuss this. Um, <laughs> I, I must point out that uh, even though I've played the prime minister, including a, a rendition of David Cameron, I share none of his politics. If, if he has <laughs> any, I'm never quite sure. Um, uh, but yes, no. I, I, Actors tend to get pigeonholed, and my my pigeonhole at the moment is leader of the nation yes. uh, in all its different forms. But yeah, Transformers. Uh, I think Michael Bay and his people heard that I'd been daving it up on Channel Four and uh, in the West End, and they got in touch. And would I like to be in one of the biggest franchises in the universe and <laughs> be the prime minister again? Mm, okay, that's, that's a thought. So uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Um, you get to work with Anthony Hopkins, one of your personal heroes. Oh, go on then. Um, yeah, so that's. I think that's still on, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's probably at the end, the tail end of its run in, in cinemas. Shortly to be released on DVD and Blu-ray, folks. Oh, actually, no, it'll be streamed first, won't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it seems to be that thing now where DVDs used to be like 12, 18 months after the film would come out, so then you'd finally get the DVD or the VHS, and now it's like instant. Well, I, I think um, some of the some of the talk now is that they're going to start offering streaming DVD and theatrical release all at once. Yeah, um, the gunshot approach. D- yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called the mm, didn't really come out well in the edit approach. So let's just sell it everywhere quick. Um, don't quote me on that. Um, I'm sure some very successful films will be sold in this way. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that was a yeah. Transformers was uh, a real thrill. I mean, I I'm a fan. Uh, in fact, this keeps happening to me. I, I get involved in stuff that I'm a fan of with Doctor Who and Red Dwarf things like yeah. that it's, um, yeah I mean as I said Howard Rimmer Red Dwarf I mean that howie baby a, that must be an experience when you're playing the nicer Rimmer brother uh, thank you for calling him nicer uh, most people just go for younger and better looking but um, <laughs> much to Chris Barry's chagrin um, yeah it's a funny old day when you find yourself waking up feeling grateful that you resemble Chris Barry but um, <laughs> I think it, it is my very vague resemblance to Chris that got me the job and um, uh, I it's it's weird it's it's a weird thing to get involved in something that you've liked as a as a kid yeah Uh, I don't say that in front of the main cast because it makes them sound (laughs) really really old (laughs) (laughs) just don't mention the 80s (laughs) Um, 
Does but yeah, Charles remember the or <laughs> <laughs> the two thousands. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a funny thing. You've got to sort of suspend your geekery for uh, as long as you can when you're surrounded by yeah your heroes. Yeah, um, and just get on with the job. Although that wasn't difficult with. Red Dwarf because there was quite a bit of pressure on that show because it was the first episode yeah. of the new Dave era. The series uh, 10. Does Back to Earth count yeah. and all this business. Um, yeah, and it was it, it, that was the the one that was gonna make uh, make or break the new Dave era in a way. I mean it, I guess it wasn't, but um, there was a, a, a feeling of that on set. Uh, yeah. As well as those guys, those four main guys, clearly enjoying being reunited and, yeah. and back in business. Um, yeah, and it was a that was a good couple of weeks. Yeah, you can say it's quite an eclectic class. You've got a character actor, you've got a stand-up comedian, you've got a thespian and a poet all thrown into this cast. And I think that's what kind of made Red Dwarf work quite well. Was how well, this range of people. There is uh, a constant dialogue ongoing about what precisely it is that makes Red Dwarf so successful and um, the good thing about it is that very few people agree that there is one overall thing certainly those yeah. four guys certainly the writing with Doug still churning yeah. out excellent scripts even now um, and the concept which they can pretty much take in any direction that they want and yeah. they do yeah. um, but I, I, I actually well, I watched as much as I could before I, I shot my episodes and then revisited the episodes on Netflix before I did the Red Dwarf convention convention jump um, yeah. last year uh, just so that I'd swatted up and was ready for all the fans questions and I, I thought uh, I came out of that uh, box set blitz with a sense that I, there's something friendly about the show it's just kind of yeah. it's, kind of, it's not comfort viewing but it's it's matey viewing isn't yeah, it? it's, 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 like it's friendly <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think that's that's part of the appeal and that's not something that you can sit down and pre-plan. You know that yeah. is that happens. That sort of thing happens by accident, really. Um, and Red Dwarf, therefore, is one of the happiest TV accidents in British television history. Yeah. I would think. Um, as you said, you've done quite a lot with the BBC as well. So you've done Ripper Street, which was that BBC co-production. And I was kicking off that one as well. Yes. I was in the very first episode of Ripper Street. Um, that I got that job because I. When, when they sat down to write the first episode, they thought they'd create this baddie character yeah. based on a character in the film From Hell, yes. uh, which is all about Jack the Ripper and uh, the, one, of the, one of the maybe he is Jack the Ripper candidates was one of the royal family, Prince Albert Edward yes. Victor, Duke of Clarence, and they had that character in From Hell, and they wanted to base their first baddie in Ripper Street on that character which they did and then when it got to the casting stage they said well why don't we just find the actor who played that part and they did and it was me and uh, and they basically gave me the same costume maybe do the same sort of thing ride around in carriages in a big homegrown moustache I might add it's it's real no fakery here I am a genuine male Uh, yeah so that was very lucky because I basically got that first episode of Rip Street based on previous work and again there was a sense of wow we're kicking off a new big BBC extravaganza let's let's make this work and we were shooting in Dublin and so um, uh, truly international it was a a global event (laughs) 
yeah, no, that was that was great to do as well. And I got to work with my old drama school pal Matthew McFadden again, which was great. And there we there we go. I've done all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, I don't like to look at my CV. It does my head in. <laughs> it's, uh, well, you mentioned earlier as well, Doctor Who, which is a phenomenon now. Really way to describe it. It's been what it's back on screen for about twelve years now. Yeah, I mean, Eccleston come back and become this BBC phenomenon. Now. It is the headline show as we had the slight controversy about the uh, Christmas special and the new Doctor. But well, I mean, I call it controversy. I call it a buzz. I think there's an excitement about this, and I, I, I think that um, what I like to do whenever there's a new Doctor yeah. is to wait and see. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I've got a lot of faith in the people that cast this show. Yes. They've pretty much always got it right, um, and it's easy to try and speculate about what it's going to be like with this new person doing this role. But you've got to wait and see, you know, what's on the screen before you reach a judgment. Because um, we had all the controversy when um, Peter Capaldi was picked, and it was just going to be this is yeah. Malcolm Tucker in space. He's going to bring well, I think there's a thirst. <laughs> I would watch Falcon Tucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody would watch Falcon Tucker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a tendency, especially in this country, to look for the faults early and to be, uh, you know, to go just spread on a bit of scandal and yeah. uh, come up with a great theory about why this isn't going to work. And, uh, uh, but. Come on, I, I think it's exciting. I, know. I think it's always exciting when there's a new Doctor, and I think maybe just a little bit of extra excitement this time around. Um, yeah. Call it controversy, but I'm excited. No, we're all really excited too. We're yeah. all really happy with the decision, because yeah. as, as we said on the previous show, it's an alien. It's not a man, it's not a woman, it's an alien. And, they and they're yeah. known to regenerate in 24 and they damn well yeah. so. It's an it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't see many people with two parts wandering around the street. No, no, exactly. But uh, did you enjoy your time on set? Was it a bit of a weird... I did. Again, it's one of these strange ones where you... Uh, I mean, I think probably with Doctor Who more than anything that I've done, um, I was not just a, a fan when I was younger, but I was, I was deeply into Doctor Who uh, yeah. in a sort of semi-religious way when I was younger. I was a Tom Baker man myself, or rather a Tom Baker toddler <laughs> um, and the idea of being in the show is well if you're not careful it, it would be a little bit overwhelming it's yes. just like oh and you end up being extra careful about every line you said because you know you're going down in history and you're being yeah. becoming part of something not only special to other people but to yourself so in actual fact when you when you actually get down to the nitty gritty you've got so many things on your mind that you just end up doing it but um yeah, it was it was yeah special, and I got to chill out in the uh, TARDIS for a while. I don't know whether they still do this, but uh, at that time, whenever actors who were guesting on the show first turned up at the studios in Cardiff, they let you have a little wander around the TARDIS. I, in other words, any geek's dream. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes. And it was unsupervised as well, which I thought was rather strange. I remember it, it was... So how many bits of TARDIS do you have? <laughs> how dare you? Four. <laughs> and they're not having them back. Uh, no, I've got, uh, yeah, um, I've got a couple of pictures of myself looking <laughs> a bit wide-eyed. and I tried to look as serious-faced as I could 
during a selfie in the TARDIS, but it didn't succeed, as you might imagine. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, one of the wonderful things about the TARDIS. It's different, but the same every time. Yeah. You've still got that beautiful blue door when you look straight in, and then you've got the octagon on playing around with big buttons is the way it is. Yeah, and it's huge. I think, uh, I mean, I've heard a lot of actors talk about the shock that they get. When, I mean, I know the whole idea is yeah. that it's much bigger than you think from the yeah. outside. But it's actually bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's partly because way above you, you've got this huge vaulted ceiling with lots of lights hanging down from yeah. it, and it's actually a large studio in itself. But um, yeah, boy, that was a thrill. And then I didn't get to actually act in it, which was uh, or anywhere near it. <laughs> um, so, but I got to be in it for a while, and yeah, it's how can that not be exciting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things off the bucket list. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, there's not much other English shows which can probably describe that everybody wants to be probably casualty. Everybody seems to be on casualty at some point. I think I've done that four times. <laughs> <laughs> it's about high time I was back on casualty. I haven't been injured for a while on television. Yeah. To be fair, I think that's probably one of the few times you can say that and it can actually not be a good thing. <laughs> can somebody please injure me on television? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, where can we find more information about you online? Well, uh, I guess I've got an IMDb page, a Wikipedia page. I don't have my own Mark Dexter page. There is a Facebook page which somebody yes. recently set up. I promise you it ain't me. Some strange people <laughs> decided that it would be a good idea to set up a Mark Dexter Facebook fan page. So that's out there somewhere. Um, and I'm on Twitter. Real Mark Dexter. Um, yeah, come and join me online. <laughs> no, definitely will. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We're here at Not Another Comic Con in the wonderful Novotel in Birmingham, and we're joined by the legendary Jessica, Jessica Martin. Martin. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you may remember her as Max from Doctor Who. You may remember her as the Queen from Doctor Who in The Voyage of the Down for 2007. And you may remember her as Princess Diana in Spitting Image many years ago. You may do if you're old enough or your parents have let you watch the videos. <laughs> thanks for joining us. How Pleasure. are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you enjoying the conventions there? I'm having a great time. It's just a wonderful... It is, it is another comic con, but it... As, as the title says, it's not just another Comic-Con. It's got an identity all of its own. It's really friendly. It's uh, perhaps a, a smaller room than the London Film and Comic-Con where I was last weekend. Yeah. But it's got this really nice community feel and a constant traffic of people coming in mm-hmm. all throughout the day. And a lot of cosplay as well, which is great. Yeah, I mean, that's a lovely thing we've uh, spoken to Pete about a little bit earlier. It's, it's got a really nice, friendly feel to it. Yeah. It feel like refreshing to uh, yes. have to, like, some big comic cons, you feel like you're in out, and it's kind of yeah. like, it's a bit like a conveyor belt where here mm. yeah. people get time to have a good chat with us, yes. who they're wanting to see here. Mm. So, uh, as we mentioned, being on Doctor Who twice, once in the original <laughs> Doctor Who and once in the kind of rebooted version, if we call it. Well, my voice was, to be fair. I was the voice of the Queen and Voyage of the Damned, which yeah. was the Christmas special. David Tennant yes. was in that one. But I still, I mean, it's, it, it still means something. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned my two big Finnish Doctor Who appearances oh, Of well. course, yes. We were actually speaking to Jamie Anderson last week at London Film Comic Con. Mm-hmm. He works quite closely with Big Finnish, so yeah. good to hear about that. So, um, so you've done 
original Doctor Who, rebooty Doctor Who, and Big Finish. You, is it a different acting experience for all three, or is it kind of like the same kind of feel for yourself? Um, oh, it's very different. I mean, radio is a whole different medium. You have to create the characters. Uh, in, in, you know, a complete character just through the medium of sound. You don't yeah. have the prosthetics and the the set to help you with the journey. But um, what was really nice is the fact that I've I'm somebody who has appeared in Doctor Who a few people's lifetimes ago, um, and and yet it's still it's a legacy that just is as I call it the gift that just continues to keep giving. So I'm here today in in two guises actually because I, I'm still an actress but I'm also a comic artist and writer which mm-hmm. I know you're going to get on to eventually but yes. you know I, I somehow have hit the zeitgeist and having the, the fortune to be living in an era where the geek thing is massive you know yeah. so when I did Doctor Who there were, were a few conventions around for that kind of thing but it was nowhere near the scale it is now no. so I have the benefit of being part of that classic Doctor Who era but I'm, I'm stepping into this world today where you have Doctor Who uh, continuing with news stories, but people still want the old stuff, they want the history of it. And of course now I'm, because I, I, I'm a comic creatrix too, so I'm getting invitations which cross over the two fields. Yeah. Uh, uh, as mentioned, you played Mag Doctor Who. It's uh, mm. quite a long run that you had between 88 and 89. Um, did you... How was that kind of experience? Because that's quite a long recurring role for like something like Doctor Who now, where it's kind of one episode, story done, move on. Yes. And whereas back then it was kind of like an anthology kind of series, so you had 12, 13, 14 episode arcs mm-hmm. with a Doctor and then they'd move on to the next arc. Did, which, which format would you? I was in the format, so I was part of a four-part serial. Yeah. And I was the lead character, If well, myself and T.P. McKenna, who played yeah. the captain. Captain and Mags were, if you like, the two star guest mm-hmm. uh, characters in that storyline, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, so, which which I think is why uh, the character of Mags is, is iconic because yeah. she was in it long enough to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think I never realised it at the time, but people have commented that oh, Mags and, and the Captain were like the the nemesis or the dark side of the Doctor and his companion. Yeah. Of course, naturally, I can see that now. But yeah. I mean, I saw myself as a goodie quite honestly, and I think she was an anti-hero. Yeah. An anti-hero is the big thing now. Yes. You never get a straight cut hero anymore. You get an anti-hero. Sometimes an anti-villain sometimes. Yeah. You expect to be quite good who turns out to be that. Mm. Have that evil streak running through. And do you, have you carried some of your Doctor Who experience through into your comic work? Well, um, it's not official, but let's just say that there is a comic line that celebrates a well-known Doctor character (laughs) and there is a writer who has created a story starring someone I might have played and (laughs) I I could well be illustrating that particular story so it's very, very exciting actually and that'll be happening next year if it happens. (laughs) I can't think of... No, no. I mean, it's it's crazy and, and... crazy and yet so wonderful you know it just is like the icing on the cake because obviously as every comic artist just as an actor hopes to be part of an iconic series but everybody who does comics wants to yes they want to be known for their own stories but to be doing work for a licensed brand is is an achievement so yeah (laughs) that would be pretty wonderful that's pretty cool and um 
how did you get into illustration? Because it must be a bit of a flip from acting to illustration. Well, the story of my journey into comics is one that I should be chronicling in words and pictures in my graphic memoir, Life Drawing, A Life Under Lights. Uh, and that is, it, it's a book that has actually just this week been 100% crowdfunded with Unbound, who are, they're normally a prose publisher and they're moving into graphic yes. novels. That's the end answer, the very quick answer. But the the answer to that is uh, that I've been on I've, I've been on a kind of evolution, if you like. Even as an actor, I started off not purely acting. I was an impressionist, as you mentioned. I was in Spitting Image, and mm-hmm. um, I could have actually gone completely down that road. And you yep. know, you might see me today, along with Jan Ravens and Ronnie Ancona doing. But I, I always, for me, the impressions were a route to becoming an actress. And so when I got an opportunity to, to do Doctor Who, for instance, that was great because it was my first real acting credit. And then shortly after Doctor Who, I was given the chance to be in a, a musical called Me and My Girl mm-hmm. with Gary Wilmot. And that was in the West End. And quite honestly, that ch- totally changed the direction. I've been on television as a young actress from you know the age of 23 to 25. And suddenly I was in theatre. And that became my career for the next, I won't mention how many years, because we, we're in, in a different time yeah. zone here. This, I'm, I'm ageless. <laughs> and um, you're still doing theatre to this day, aren't you? Do yes, you I am. Out? And in fact, uh, in a couple of months' time, I start rehearsals for Elf the Musical at the Lowry Theatre in oh, Manchester. Wow. Yeah. So you'll have to have a group outing to that. Yes, definitely. Um, but I, I've been very happy in my, in, in my theatre career. But my, my life as a woman moved from, you know, playing the ingenue, to in my real life, I married and I had children, and so the, the uh, dynamics of my acting life kind of changed with that too. And there was a time in my life where my children were sort of, you know, beyond the toddler stage. The acting parts were not very exciting, and I was looking for ways of, of creative expression. So, like a lot of actors do, I was exploring script writing and, and, and literature. Uh, and of course, an actor is always thinking about how can I make myself uh, attractive for work and what's happening. And, and you're thinking about an audience for your work, always thinking about the audience. And so it was always about shoehorning my ideas to fit what I was trying to second guess the audience might want. Which worked to a certain extent, but I realised that was going to be a very long journey guessing what the zeitgeist was. And then the zeitgeist is gone by the time you finish the work. Or, the other thing is, you know, and this a lot of comic creators can relate to, is not being true to your own voice, sort of doing something because that's what the going thing is, but actually it's not what you're really happy doing. So fortunately, I'm in a position, uh, and my lovely husband is with me today at my comic stall, is in a position where I wasn't dependent on earning my living through the acting, you know, that the bills were still going to be paid. So I had the opportunity to explore different creative parts. And what happened for me was that I had had a very keen interest as a little girl in drawing, like lots of little girls do. But I was quite intensively into my drawing. I used to draw movie stars. That's what I was into. I loved old film. And I did A-level art, and I did very well in it. But then that was it, full stop. Got into my acting, and that took off, fortunately. But I never picked up a pencil until about, um, well, about seven years ago, I was inspired by a trip to Tate Modern, which is full of modern art and very little drawing. And the fact that there was no drawing there made me think, I've got this itch to do art. And 
I suppose the positive thing was going into an art gallery and realising that, you know what, it's all about if you believe, if you say I'm an artist, you are. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I got a book, actually, a book which was uh, all hand-drawn and hand-written uh, by uh, an artist called Danny Gregory, and he was like my first inspiration. He's not a comic artist, but the book was all his sketches uh, and a lovely description of how you can find your inner artist just by kind of doing it. So then my next step in the evolution was, uh, funnily enough, came through my musical theatre. So I was doing Spamalot with Phil Jupitus. And Phil is a big comics fan. He is your guy that goes out every Wednesday to wherever. We'd be on tour. He's like, oh, it's Wednesday. That guy out by the boys. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I showed him my artwork, mainly because I just wanted to have uh, some feedback from somebody who had an interest in art. And I'm not... I am not a snob. I think that art is, it can be applied to lots of different things. And I've always loved comic art. I hadn't bought a comic, hadn't then bought a comic since I was a child, but I always liked the look of really sort of well done art in the girls' comics that I grew up with. So when he said to me, Oh, you know, you've got a really lovely line and it's really lively, you should look into doing comics or graphic novel. And that for me was the, he just lit the touch paper because I went out. And I bought comics, I bought DC books on how to make comics, how to pencil them, how to write scripts. I bought Fun Home by Addison Bechdel and Posey Simmons, Gemma Bovary, which were, you know, works by women, because I was looking for something that, you know, I was, I was not about to go out and do Superman and Daredevil. I knew that I had to find something that I could truthfully relate to. And the other thing too, as I mentioned before, that when I was writing before, I was looking to fit an audience. With this, I thought, I'm just going to do this for fun. And I made my first comic, It Girl, which is about Clara Bow, silent movie actress, primarily for people, well, I made it for me. And I thought, if, if anyone likes it and buys it, that'll be a bonus. And, uh, and I unwittingly, I tapped into the zeitgeist, the thing that I've been chasing all those years consciously, just kind of, I, I fell into it purely by accident because of course when I launched the comic at Thought Bubble which is the biggest independent uh, comics festival in Leeds there are there's room for all kinds of different voices and I, I was having people that just came up attracted to the black and white cover and they were saying things like oh I've always been interested in silent movies or I like movies or this looks in and they would just pick it up and they'd this is the nice thing too I think people are not scared to pick up a comic and have a look you know they it's a really it's just an inclusive art form. And I just, really, from that day, I thought, wow, there's an audience out there. I've got all these stories to tell. Uh, and so far, in the four years since I did that comic, I've published another comic, Vivacity, about Vivian Lee. Yeah, that's actually what my, who my wife is named after. Her mum and dad named her after Vivian Lee. After Vivian Lee? Well, see, there you go. Well, you know, oh, Vivian yeah. Lee, it's kind of like Judy Garland. Yeah. Uh, so many people love Gone with the Wind. Judy Garland, I've yet to do the comic on her, but I do impressions of her in, in live shows. So it's, she is going to feature, actually, in my, in my life story memoir because she's sort of like a, a guiding um, deus ex machina for me. She's yeah. the voice that's come up time and again in my life. Uh, but no, there are so many, so many stories to tell. And I think I realise now when I look at... So, so my other book, Elsie Harris' Picture Palace is a fictional story about a girl in the film industry. But all of my characters, whether it's Vivian Lee or Clara or Elsie or even myself, they're all strong female protagonists 
who have to find their way in a difficult industry, whether it's because, you know, in, in the 1930s, Elsie Harris is trying to find a way working in a mainly male industry behind the scenes, or it could be Clara Bow, who's come from abject poverty in Brooklyn and becomes a Hollywood movie star. It's like one of those footballers plucked out of obscurity at 17. How do you handle that amount of fame and money and, and stay sane? <laughs> I, mean, um, I think that's the joy of independent comics. It allows people to be as creative as this because everybody knows about Marvel, everybody knows about DC. They know what they're going to get. They're going to yeah. get superhero novels. Mm. And that's it. Yes. Whereas the independent scene allows stories. So we've got like Steve Tanner here who's done like a medieval slash 17th century story oh, yeah, about Flintlock. pirates yeah. and that kind of thing. You've got artists here like Ian Richardson who's just about to invention on his own personal comic. We've got Reese Finlay who's put his life story into a graphic novel. Form. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant to see this range of exciting things from the independent comic scene. I mean, are you very proud to be part of that? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, all those names you mentioned. So I'm here because of Ian, because Ian Richardson mentioned me to Peter Burke. So thank you, Ian, and I'm here. And Reese Finlay, I've read his work and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And he is a real poster boy for you know self-initiated endeavor and small press and 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 not being shy about advertising i think a lot of people feel that if they're small press they don't feel real if that yeah. makes sense but actually do you know what you only have to look at the amount of customers because that's what they are customers who come through the door yeah. this is a business and and you know going back to peter burke who's enterprise this is you know he's doing a business degree so there is a, a, a massive audience out there who want but what they don't want is they don't want as you say the homogenized big brand stuff that you can get everywhere yeah. and there's something cynical about it because again you, you feel there's something slightly patronizing there oh let's gear this towards this demographic and oh, let's let's stick in this is this is a uh, a theme that's going on at the moment. Let's yeah. let's do that. You know. I mean, if, if we look at the backlash with Doctor Who for the Thirteenth Doctor revealed mm. today, and it kind of feels like there's been a backlash because it's the BBC doing it. If yes. there's anybody else doing it, it'd be perfectly fine. It's because mm. the BBC have chosen a female Doctor. That seems to be the issue, not the fact it's a female Doctor. That's yeah. the main problem of it. Oh. It's kind of like you're pandering to a crowd. It's like, no, we're doing this for the story. Yes. Yeah, well, I think, you know, she was going to come along at some time and she couldn't pick a better time yeah. to do it. <laughs> I mean, and we're massive fans of yeah. having Jodie Whittaker. She's a brilliant actress. Mm. She's earned her stripes. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yes. And, and as we mentioned earlier, it's not a he or a she. It's, a, it's, it's an alien. And people seem to forget yes. that. Yes, yeah. yes. An alien who regenerates and therefore can embody any, you know, yeah. wouldn't even have to be a human, would it? No. So, yeah. there you go. Yeah, but it's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, where can we find more information about yourself online? Okay, if you go to my Instagram handle is Jessica underscore Artemis. Artemis is all one word. A R T Y M I W S. Thank you. Well, I'm double edged. If you know your Greek history, yes. Artemis was the warrior. Yes. Diana. Goddess of Winston. Absolutely. Uh, goddess of, um, goddess of midwifery. Yeah. So that kind of relates to creativity as well, yeah. doesn't it? And actually, Artemis is not just purely about uh, women either. I mean, I do hopefully see myself one day as, as stretching out to publish other people's work. And mm-hmm. I'll be looking for both male and female creators. That's brilliant to hear. Um, and yes, artemispublishing.com is, is where you can find all my stuff, all my story. And, uh, and if you go to Unbound and look up Jessica Martin or Life Drawing, A Life Under Lights, 
you can pledge for my book. It's 100% crowdfunded, but people are still pledging. That's brilliant to hear. And you can also find your work at Nostalgia Comics, our local comic bookshop, in their little independent section, which is always a brilliant place to go and have a chair. Oh, that's good to know. Find some amazing little independent comics there. And so pull away from Marvel, DC. Perhaps you'll find something that will really capture your interest again. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Right, we are joined by two legends of the comic industry here. Who's that? Martin of the Comic Con here in Birmingham at the Novotel. Hello, Mr. Ian Richardson. Good afternoon. And hello, Mr. Ian Richardson. Ahoy. How are you both today? Uh, jolly happy. It was, an early, it was an early start, despite the fact we're kind of local. But um, it's it's busy. It's great turnout. Everybody happy to chat and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're just having a massive brew shop cosplay appearing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Squad UK, I think it is. Who? I don't know. But they're here. They're having fun, which is what everybody's doing. And are you two gents having fun so far? Yeah. yeah, it's been great. Very yeah. positive. You know, people have been interested, uh, just chatting. Um, it's, it's a great turnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's always the way we do shows. And yeah, not quite sure how many people are going to come through the door. But yeah. now I think yeah, Pete's done a great. massive job on his team around him. Yeah, all having good fun. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ian, I met you last week at London Film and Comic Con, and I did try and find you, Ian, but I couldn't get around to you. Uh, that was the difference, you said. That kind of pinned me down. <laughs> where it was like a, a sort of a I was free-floating. Yeah, yeah, I was yes. roving. But it was great fun. I mean, we had a chat with 2008D, talking about the amazing 40th anniversary, how well that's really been. And you both joined in on a couple of the panels as well while you were down there. And 2008 you both worked for it. What, what do you think about the 40th anniversary? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's impressive that it's, you know, uh, I think it's the, is it the only British comic that actually has made it that far. Uh, yeah. And I think it's, it's all down to um, just the diversity of stories. They, they get through a lot of material. Yeah. And they're not afraid to do, you know, steampunk, fantasy, horror, hard science fiction. Um, and I think that's the thing that's kept it fresh. I think part of its success is the fact that 2018 is its own thing. There isn't yeah. anything like that. But it's managing to be that whilst still quality material as well. Yeah, and that's one of the great joys of 2008 the variety that you get with it. I mean, we know Judge Dredd will, Judge Dredd will be in pretty much every single comic pretty much since day dot it's been in there. Yeah. But you also get a massive variety. You get Slain, you get Sinister Dexter, which is one of my favourite ones. <laughs> yes, Nikolai Dantai, who's just come through probably about Prog 1000, I think, Nikolai Dantai long. So, coming to the thousand issues, with him floating around now. If you think about it from that point of view as well, that's, that's still successful, popular things coming in. Yeah. Prog 1000. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's weird to think about that. I mean, I know they've just bought a lot of the older British comics and they're going to bring back a lot of characters, a bit of reprints. Brilliant stuff to see. I had a quick chat with Michael who was there. Uh, but you're both doing your own little bits at the moment as well. So, Ian, you've got to show us a little bit of a special artwork, which I'm not going to share. <laughs> Showing it. Yes. It's just being, being egocentric. Yes, so uh, football, I think, was Soon. A bit different doing that kind it of is, It is. I'm, I'm, I'm quite fortunate at the moment that 
worst, or perhaps not got the most high profile stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying having a nice mix at the moment. Sci-fi and, and yeah. horror and, and out there and sequentials of an indie book as well. So it's, it's yeah. kind of a nice mix and I get a little bit of both worlds. Yes. And Mr. Edgerton, yourself, you, you've done your own range of comics, spreading out a little bit more. Can you want to tell us a little bit more about those? I'm doing more stuff for 2018. It's going to be more Kingmaker with Lee yeah. Gallagher. Um, I've, I mean, the, the big thing at the minute is uh, I've just done this Iron Maiden miniseries for Heavy Metal. Wow. Uh, Legacy, and uh, the it was launched uh, in San Diego Comic Con a few weeks ago, and they did another launch at the London Film and Comic Con a couple of weekends ago. Mm -hmm. There's a special variant edition, and then uh, the regular series starts in a little yeah. while, I think so. Uh, so. And it's running in heavy metal. There's a sample in the, this month's music edition. For those listeners who've probably not picked up an issue of Kingmaker yet, how would you describe it to them? Well, the, the Iron Maiden. It's just um, metal, basically. It's it's it's. Uh, <laughs> it's based on the uh, the online game, yeah. Um, but uh, we've kind of like expanded out from that, and it's just kind of Eddie going through various incarnations that we've seen on the album covers, yeah. Uh, fighting various villains again that we've seen on the album covers, um, and it's kind of weaving it together into a big story. Um, I mean, there's, there's plenty of room for sequels, so we left it kind of open. It's just kind of silly, fun. Yeah. loud action adventure basically it's I mean, kind you of can't have nothing else that, with Iron Maiden I mean, I mean, the, 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 the interesting thing is because Eddie doesn't speak essentially I mean, he just grunts and groans and grunts, you know, snarls yes. and so he has um, a sidekick called uh, um, uh, she's a, kind of like a, a seer enchantress and I, I, I said basically their relationship is Hannah and Chewie uh, and, 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 and that's what it is. So you're, you're hearing one side of the conversation through yeah. her and her reaction to what you're saying. Um, and so that's been great. You, know, you put a lot of humour in there. Um, yeah. And it's, it was just fun to write. It was just, you know, it's, it's not very often jobs like that fall into your lap. No, I can imagine it's quite a left field comic kind of yeah. request for you to have, get involved in. Yeah, I mean, of, I've worked on a lot of licensed things, so I mean, that's kind of helped. Um, you, know, you get to play with other people's toys, but you have to realise there are rules that come with it. And so again, it's that kind of. It has to be filtered through various approval processes, which yeah. takes ages. But um, but no, um, it was good fun. I mean, and the other thing I'm doing, I'm actually working on as a, a Dynamite Comics um, uh, Killer Instinct game. Oh, Killer game. Instinct! Well, yeah. So that's one that's, of the greatest games. Of the that's been revamped because I essentially said to them, "Well, what you've got here is a superhero universe yeah. that's not been is untapped fundamentally, and so you can do whatever you want." And so we just, we just kind of taken that and run with it. Um, and so that's that's and that's coming out first issue, I think, September from yeah. Dynamite. Cool. I mean, it's a really different kind of license to have that one. I mean, working from a fighting game. I mean, Ian, you've previously yeah. about working on the Halo series. I mean, with that kind of approval process, do you feel that's restrictive, or do you think that's more creative? I didn't find it restrictive. And I think that's the difference. I just, just, it's still enjoyable to do, especially if you kind of if you like the source material. But it's, it's just perhaps a slightly different head you approach yeah. with it and, and stuff. Yeah. Get used to the fact that you know, you might not hear about approval for four pages for like a week or something like yeah. that. Just waiting for something. Yeah, you just, that, but they'll still mark. expect you to stick yes. to the same yeah. schedule. 
Yeah. So the you know the editor will go okay, and then they'll send it to the licensor, and they may take a month. Yeah. And then they want things changed, but you're still on the same schedule. Yeah. Because that's like okay. So you've basically got to write beyond it. You just wait the yeah. approval basically, and then you say to, tweak yeah. it back. You have to yeah. stay flexible. I mean, I, I worked on um, Dead Space and Kane and Lynch as yeah. well, um, and that you know you just have to realise that's comes with the, the territory. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and, and switch that part of your brain off that starts going when you haven't heard anything for a while. Yeah. Switch that part of your brain on that goes. But what's wrong with it then? <laughs> Yeah. And you kind of go, and everything's all, oh, yeah, it's all fine. Yeah. I mean, it must be so different from working like, for a bi weekly magazine like 2000 ADH, like, you write your 12 issues as probably a block, and you say, here's your 24 weeks worth of content versus a license. And as I said, you've got a deadline to hit, especially when you've got games being released or something to tie in with that, especially with models and stuff. But do you feel like it's, it's a completely different way of wrapping your head around it? Only a little. Yeah, it's, it's fundamentally it's the same thing. Um, I, was, I was working on Assassin's Creed, which is basically like cramming for a university degree in history in a weekend. <laughs> you know, everything has to be tied so specifically to yeah. genuine historical yeah. events, and it makes your eyes bleed. But I mean, it was, it was the best thing to do because it was kind of, you find little gaps in the story and history that you know you can arrange for Leonardo da Vinci to be at this shop at this time because you knew he was in Genoa, and so. It's, it's great to do that and it is immensely fiddly but it's very satisfying when it finishes and it comes out and you can see that all the bits have just clicked in really nicely um, but yeah I mean it's, it, you just have to realise I mean as ever it's, it's probably no different really than writing say for Batman or Spider-Man yeah. it's just somebody else's property it doesn't belong to you you can't be precious you know, you can, so you just have to, as long as you can play by their rules, yeah. then you know. I mean, I'm sure they'll probably give you the straight going and start and say, this needs to happen, this, 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 and this. I, I think the main difference I noticed from an art is likenesses. If you're kind of doing Dread or you're doing Batman or whatever, within reason you kind of you end up having, yeah. doing your own version of it. Yeah. But with licensed games from our point of view, then, that was the thing they were extra fussy about. Was character license. Yes. Yeah. Master Chief has to look like Master Chief. Can't yeah. look like yeah. 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 And it's, it's a big thing once the helmets come off and, and it's recognised by characters from that point of view. <laughs> Uh, I'm not too sure whether I achieved it, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the main difference between the that they were really fussy. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, where can we find more information about you both online? Me, uh, you can just generally find me on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, or search for pencils and strings and DVD cards. You can also find me on my new website which is ianrichardsonart.co.uk Just read that again, ianrichardsonart.co.uk Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and, and sadly, I'm something of a Luddite. I, it's just about Facebook and that's it. I, I, I have two small children, so between work and things like that, I have no time now. So people say, why don't you tweet? Because I, I just don't have time. Um, but I, I do I'm need either to, writing or children. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the school holidays at the minute as well, which is kind of yeah. crazy bonkers. So, um, but no, that, that's me at the minute. But uh, when they go back, I want to try and get a proper uh, website set up, so to showcase stuff. But you can see you coming back to 2018 very soon. I'm very happy about yeah. it. Thank you very much for joining us both soon. Thank you. 
And we are here still at uh, NACC, not another Comic Con, Novotel in Birmingham with the amazing Sarah Grayley. I'm a bit of a fangirl for you, I'm going to confess. Uh, I actually found you first through your web series, uh, Our Super Adventure. You want to tell me a little bit about that? How um, that started? Uh, our Super Adventures, um, my diary comic, I'll do about my relationship and my work and stuff. So um, it's just just goofy stuff that happens between us and uh, it's really nice because a lot of people are like hey I, I do that thing in that comic and I'm like oh thank god like we're not weird <laughs> so, it's very good that's pretty much my experience I read them I laugh I t- and then immediately send the link to Dave my other half and I'm like look it's me ridiculous <laughs> one of the things that you're probably best known for at the moment is your work with one of the Rick and Morty comics you're working on Little Peeper Star is that right? Uh, oh yeah I only did that last year mm-hmm. so um, that was really awesome um, I, Oni Press got in touch with me and were like, hey, what's up? Uh, would you like to do a comic for us? I was like, yes, I would love to. I love your Rick and Morty comic series at the moment. And they were like, oh, do you? Okay, well, like, let's let's make one of those. So, um, yeah, I got to do, I, I wrote and drew a five-issue miniseries uh, about uh, Summer Mr. Pee Butthole, which is great. Um, and also... One, it was a wonderful experience telling like my nan like oh I'm getting published the character's called Mr. Poopy Butthole <laughs> but uh, yeah that was that was really awesome is it different to your normal kind of process to work with characters like that that are already existing rather than kind of your own or yourself <laughs> with your diary comics yeah like um, one, of, one of the things is like when, when we're pitching you have to um, pitch like uh, a sheet of dialogue just to make sure you get the voices right mm-hmm. so um, I spent a lot of time when I was writing it as well like uh, I was like oh no I have to I have to watch Rick and Morty again <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the best reason <laughs> yeah. but it's like um, with the character as well Mr. Peter Butthole like um, there's like five minutes about that's just solely all his clips so it's someone luckily for me someone had already like compiled them all put them on YouTube so I watched like this one YouTube uh, clip like on loop but I mean if you put, put some like ooeys in there like, you're pretty you're pretty solid for that voice so, um, yeah, there was loads of researching. Um, another cool thing as well is like when you draw other people's characters and you Google Google for references. There's some really weird stuff like online. <laughs> so that was uh, an experience. <laughs> I imagine that's yeah, that's quite <laughs> quite an interesting one. So you're actually working your own title at the moment as well, Kim Reaper. Like, how's that been going? Oh, that's been really good. Like, um, the first the first issue came out like in April. And I was like, like we're working in comics. It's like you work on everything so in advance. So when it finally comes out, you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is coming out now. And I was like, oh gosh, um, really nervous about it because um, I love I love my Kim Reaper, I love Kim Reaper, and I'm like, this is my baby. Um, but it was really well received, so it was really awesome. But um, the first arc's just wrapped up now. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's already planning the next one or. Um, uh, this, this is going to be... <laughs> keep, keep your eyes out for uh, an announcement. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Definitely excited about that. <laughs> you do quite a lot of conventions on the convention circuit. Like, Do you think it's important to get yourself out there as an artist to kind of meet the people who are buying your work? Um, I, I think it's it's really fun. Um, it's really nice to like, meet people. Um, so yeah, I think... I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, I think maybe like the mo- the pure motivation for it maybe changed. Like I've 
I think at first it was like I've got to get my work out there in front of everyone um, but now it's like I'm really excited I'm going to meet up with all my comic friends um, I'm going to meet really nice people all weekend it's it's, it's really really fun um, so yeah <laughs> How's your NACC experience been? It's been really good um, like I'm I'm local to the area so one of one of the nice things it's like it took me 20 minutes to get here whereas like <laughs> It's always good Yeah <laughs> I love I love doing shows in Scotland but like I always forget it's like a seven hour drive there until like we're in the car and I'm like oh heck it's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic if our listeners want to find out more about you or see some of your work where can they find you online um sarahbrayley.com the most exciting uh website name <laughs> but yeah I, I have like all my stuff on there and um my partner keeps it updated for me which is great so it's uh, I can I can confidently say it's up to date all the time. <laughs> but yeah, Fantastic. brilliant! Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Cool, thanks for having me. We're here again with Mr. Tony Cooper. Hello, welcome back to Geeky Brimmy. Hi there. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you. Been a few months since we last saw you, I think. Was it? Yes, the BCU. BCU, the yes, comics. Uh, Birmingham yes. Comics Festival. Yes. Yeah. Alright, so you're here tonight at the lovely Geek Retreat, just on the Priory Queensway, for the launch of your new novel, well, graphic novel, I should say, The Murder Club, which uh, had a very successful Kickstarter campaign, which finished last month. Uh, Yes, finished the end of last month, Um, did really well, hit hit my goal, Um, and I was able to get more printed off, so this is uh, an official launch event. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's like partnership with New Street Authors yeah. um, at Geek Retreat. So, yeah, hopefully it's just about to start any minute now, so yeah. hopefully it'll go well. Well, even the police are rushing down. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's brilliant. Actually, uh, that leads me straight on to your first graphic novel that you went through Kickstarter, which was Powerless. Yeah. So this is uh, building up slowly. It is, yeah. This is my, my second one. The first one, um, it almost happened by accident. Just had a, a random idea to do a, mm-hmm. a comic book based on my, my novels. Yeah. And a few characters from that. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do a Kickstarter, see if there's interest. Mm-hmm. There was enough interest. Yeah. Um, so, so I did that and thought, never again. Mm-hmm. No, no more comics, too much hard work. And then I got an idea for another one. Yeah. <laughs> an even longer work, like full length graphic novel. Yeah. I thought, no, don't do it, don't do it. And here I am. <laughs> another nine <laughs> months later. Full-length graphic novel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so it must be a bit of a weird change in the creative process. I think we talked about this last time, going from graphic novel, where you, again, have done all the artwork alongside with all the writing, which is a quite a no mean feat. I mean, a lot of independent authors will usually partner up with an artist and they'll write the script and then describe the scene and then go back into yeah. with uh, a, a collaborator. But you decide to do it all on your own. <laughs> yeah, on a, like a Steve Dorr holding two giant <laughs> roles here. So what was your inspiration? Why did you want to do both kind of roles? Um, well, well, for the first one, for the some kind of hero comic, it was, it was, it was more pragmatic, basically. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know many people in, in, the, in sort of the comics world, the indie mm-hmm. comics world. So I thought, well, I'm, I, I did a, a book cover by myself and I did okay. So I reckon yeah. I can do the art for this. It was, it was more of a test for myself more than yeah. anything else. And, and I surprised myself with how well it came out. Yeah. Um, but for the second book, um, I, I did think about collaborating. But again, I had quite a strong idea of what I wanted the characters to look like, how I wanted it to look yeah. myself. So I thought, and I thought, well, if you do it in black and white, that'll be quicker. <laughs> um, and it was a bit and quicker. And then you just discover the joy of inking. Then. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> it was quicker in one way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I just thought I'd do that myself. I thought, well, I'll do it myself. 
Now, yeah. I've got ideas for comics that I know I don't want to do myself, that I would yeah. collaborate with someone on. But for these two, I thought, yeah, I think my style kind of fits mm-hmm. with what I'm trying to get across. So, yeah, yeah I just went, went and did it myself. I mean, and this is a great story. I mean, we had a quick flick through when we were at Birmingham Comics Festival with you. And it's a great little dark, noir, yeah. twisted tale. It is, yeah. Uh, do you want to describe it to the listeners? Yeah, sure. Basically, it's about the two uh, school students, 17, 18 years old, final year of school, about to sit at the mm-hmm. A-levels. Uh, and they trying to come up with a plan to murder someone and then frame someone for yes. the killing. Uh, they're both um, psychopaths in the proper sense, not the Hollywood like psychopath one of them sense. Uh, and it's yeah, it's like this this one guy Tom who's trying to like uh, he knows he's a psychopath. Mm-hmm. It's his plan. He wants to do this, and he's trying to yeah. rope in Lisa, so the main character, yes. to do it with him. Yeah. Um, and it was it was interesting to write because both of them are pretty unlikable characters, mm-hmm. um, but in different ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's basically about them, about their coming up with this plan. Are they going to do it? Can they do it? And it's very much about psychological, about manipulation, yeah. and it's all that yeah. dark stuff. So, a um, bit of a different take then to your previous work. So, you mentioned you had Powerless, the novel, Powerless, yeah. the graphic novel, which is all about being a hero without actually having special powers. Yeah. So, was it a different kind of creative experience when you're doing something a bit darker? It, it was a bit. I mean, um, it was. It, it, I just. I just came up with um, the idea. I mean, I've got. I've got loads of ideas. Most of them just happen to be like science fiction yeah. based, uh, like sort of superhero based. Um, but this one just came to me. Like I say, for a graphic novel, and I thought this this would fit. I can, I can always imagine it as yeah. like a, a TV series, you know, mm-hmm. like, a, yeah. like a dark, like, like a procedural kind thing. of yeah. TV series. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, that's where the sort of idea came from. And it wasn't wasn't science fiction. wasn't what I usually write. Mm-hmm. But then it did fit into kind of the dark the dark side yeah. of the, the writing I do. So yeah. there's kind of a link there. And why did you pitch them at a school age? Is it you looking for a young adult kind of market, or um, kind of? Um, I, I honestly couldn't tell you what the reasoning was behind that. It just it just seemed to it just seemed to fit for me. They're yeah. both in like the final year of school. They're mm-hmm. both at um, I mean, that age. You're still learning about yourself, like your personality, yeah. what's going in the world. And here's like uh, the one character, Tom, who's so sure of himself, mm-hmm. like uh, trying to like coerce and cajole yeah. the other character into, into doing this, this, these murders with him. So mm-hmm. he's part of coming of age. Yeah. I thought he just sort of fitted with the whole, yeah. the whole idea of the, the yeah. partnerships. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's available now digitally, and you released it here today and where can we pick up physical copies of I'm still trying to get into some comic shops at the moment mm-hmm. uh, hopefully a couple in Leamington I'm going to work with them the lovely uh, nostalgia comics, comics. Yep. Yes. hopefully they'll be uh, um, selling it there as well mm-hmm. um, and then you'll be able to buy it at ICE International Comics Expo yes. um, coming up very soon next month yeah, yeah. beginning of next month and I'll also be uh, managed really lucky to get a table at Thought Bubble in Leeds oh, at the yes. end of next month so I'll be there as well the home of independent comics yes, of course. yes. and you can buy it as we mentioned digitally as well so you're on Amazon Comixology yeah. uh, Amazon uh, drive through Comics uh, it's on Comixology just waiting, it, waiting for it to go live yeah. cool and you can always find it on your own personal website which is uh, hungryblackbird.com it's my blog and it's got all, my link, all the links there to everything mm-hmm. I do and where if listeners are interested where can they find you on social media uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at underscore Tony Cooper, mm-hmm. and I'm also on Facebook at Tony Cooper Author, my page there. 
Brilliant. Thanks for your time today, and good luck with launch. Thanks very much. I'll speak soon. Yeah, you soon too. And thanks for listening to this week's Geeky Brummy interview special. Hope you've enjoyed that, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to our high-quality podcast. If you like what we do, you can support us by visiting patreon.com forward slash brumradio.